Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We're One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. No, I want to tell you tonight um, a story that I believe to be the greatest yet most gruesome love story ever told. Uh, the story of a, a father that loved his creation so much that he would give his one and only son for one purpose, because he wanted his creation to be able to become his children. And he wanted to make sure that any divide, any separation that was disallowing his creation to be able to get close enough to him because he's holy and perfect and he just honestly couldn't be touched. He sent his one and only son to make sure that he would have to die the most horrific death. But so that after he died that death and was put in the tomb, what we celebrate here even on Wednesday is we know come this Sunday, if you don't have a church, you're going to join us for Easter Sunday because we celebrate then the resurrection. And it's not just the power of that death. Love so grand that it would die to prove it to you. But the power then of that resurrection is what finally has brought us closer to the Father and able to be in his presence. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, this amazing story. And uh, I think there's not really a better passage I can think of. I would guess that probably churches all over the world this week are preaching this text right here. We're going to at least read it. I'm going to read it to you to start. Um, but it's an Old Testament, meaning there's, the Bible's broken down in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It comes from the Old Testament. So when something comes from the Old Testament and it speaks about what's going to happen in the New Testament, that means it's something called prophetic. It means like they're saying this stuff's going to happen. I don't think there's a more on point, probably fullness of prophecy passage of Scripture than what the prophet Isaiah spoke in Isaiah chapter 53. The outline, the fullness of what he said was going to happen to Jesus, like to a, to a T. I don't think there's another passage of Scripture like it. So I'm going to read it to you here. Isaiah 53. I even went old school. I'm going to go New King James Version here, here for a second. That's how I grew up on it here. He's speaking about something for us that happened over 2,000 years ago as we celebrate it this Easter week. Verse 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the Lord, arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before them as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's normal. He's just nothing really spectacular, it's saying. He walked in a room, and you wouldn't even notice that there was something special about him. He just kind of blended in. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You know, that phrase right there, a man of sorrows, I think it's one we can kind of read and move past too quickly. Sorrows here, you notice it doesn't say sorrow, it says sorrows. Sorrow would be the self-pity crap that we think is a big issue in our own life. Sorrows was not something having to do with him whatsoever, but his sorrows were so great, a man of sorrows, because it was yours and 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 yours and, yours and mine 
sorrow, our sin upon him. Isn't it interesting with Jesus that he was a man of sorrows, not because he knew how hard taking on the cross and the brutality of it would be, but he knew that our sin was so great, separating us from the love of the Father, that he had sorrows upon sorrows upon sorrows that he carried all the way to the cross until he died to set the record straight that when he said we were forgiven, he proved it in blood. Let me keep reading. I could just preach on that tonight. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. That word wounded right there, it literally translates pierced. He was pierced for our sin. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, our, our junk, our stuff that separated us. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And my favorite part, and by his stripes, we are healed. By his marks, we are healed. That's so powerful because it doesn't just mean that we've been healed because now we've come into the forgiveness of God, but we have the ability to be healed, meaning physically. It's not just a spiritual thing, but now physically we can be healed of cancer and drug addictions and sicknesses. Is it even better? Let me tell you this. You can clap, give the Lord some praise, and then I'll tell you more, and then we'll praise him again. Some people might go, but I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, and my, my, my parents or whatever, they weren't healed. But the power of literally this translates, and by his stripes, by his marks, we are healed. It's not just that we've been healed because of Jesus, and we can be healed because of Jesus, but it's that ultimately we will be to the greatest degree healed when we are with him in heaven. So if we are not on this day, we will be when we are with him in heaven. And by his marks, we are healed. I think I got a good word in me tonight. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for it. I want to talk for the short time that we have about the marks of the marked. And uh, I hope it's one that will impact your heart. Holy Spirit, I just come to you tonight very humbled. Very humbled in your presence. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity for 10 years to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I know that there's people in the room that they haven't been here for the whole 10-year journey of we are one, but maybe it is night one that they get to step into the journey of Jesus. And I just ask, Lord, as we know your presence is here and now we've opened up your word and where there is the spirit of the living God and the word of the living God, we know that hearts can and will be changed. So, Lord, speak to the hard places, the broken places, the dry places, the burdened places. Speak to every place so that every part of us would be fully, wholly given to you, Jesus. That's our, that's our heart cry tonight. That's my plan for this evening, that every part of us would be given to you. So, Lord, open up every heart and soul to do this with me, to take this step, to commit themselves fully to Jesus. We give you all the honor and praise. We thank you that your word is perfect. It is true. We are here to honor your name and your word. And we know that our message, the message of Jesus, is going to change hearts and lives tonight. 
So if you believe this, I want you just in a second with everything in you, I want you to yell amen. When you say amen, it means let it be done. It means I'm ready for it tonight. It means here I am, Lord. Land right here because I want you. So in Jesus' name, everybody says amen tonight. And would you give them all the praise? Amen. Amen. Hey, turn to somebody before you're seated and just tell them, I'm ready for this, the marks of the marked. You got that? Tell us something before you're seated. We're going to get it. The marks of the marked. I just really feel, you know, this is uh, our second X night. I really feel that God just has given me this word to continue to speak this message. You know, we have this logo, this X representing 10 years of we're one, but ultimately it's so much bigger than that. It is a message that I, I believe your life is X'd. It is marked. Your life has been picked by God from the very beginning. When I read a passage of scripture like this, uh, Isaiah 53, I just want to begin to unravel it because I want to start to get so deep in this text tonight that this text, this passage, this scripture becomes so much a part of me that you can't separate me and Jesus if you wanted to because I'm marked by him. Isaiah, he's really setting up something that the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books of the New Testament are called the gospels. They really take it a whole step further. They take it a lot deeper. And eventually, ultimately, as you can see, I want to bring it to the point of the cross. But there was a lot that transpired before Jesus took the cross. Right before that, you know, he went before what was called the Sanhedrin. And it was like the Jewish leaders. And he was accused. And, you know, he was lied against. And then from there, he was brought to Pilate. And he was judged. And there he took the cross. But if you go back even then before that, he was arrested while he was in the garden. And he was praying. And the Bible says he was in such anguish as he was praying that a sweat began to come from his body. It was like drops of blood, Scripture says. Because it's such intensity and such agony of knowing what he's about to have to accomplish. He knew it was the will of the Father. So he even knew when he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. He already knew it wasn't supposed to. But in his humanity, don't we ask the question anyways? So he's there. Judas Iscariot, one of his 12 disciples who betrayed him, shows up. They arrest him. Then they take them to the next step. But then before that was, is what is referred to as the Last Supper. The Last Supper is sort of a connection piece to what's referred to as the Passover that happened in the Old Testament. The Passover meal was a meal that they had that they were celebrating that the Jewish people were once in slavery and bondage by the Egyptians, but the faithfulness of God had brought them out, and so they celebrate this Passover meal. So the Passover meal is what they're connecting to with the Last Supper, although they weren't eating it right on the Passover because Jesus would eventually die on the Passover. But they're eating it in correlation to the Passover, this Last Supper, Scripture labels it as. Now, for us, the way that we would sort of connect to the Last Supper is what we call communion. Communion, we were singing about it here in worship a little bit ago. Communion really is this opportunity we have to stop the craziness called our lives and sit for a second and realize that Jesus was marked for us. That Jesus took the cross for us. And how many times, you know, you've heard a message, you've heard about this idea that Jesus died for you, 
but can it very easily become sort of this thing that you can take for granted because we are rushing so quick in our lives that we don't stop for a moment to think, man, what would that be like to truly die? To die for people that hate you, to die for people that want you dead, but to die for the sins of the world. That's what communion is. It's to stop for a second and realize that Jesus was marked for us and we come into this sort of understanding that he did that for us and therefore the life that we're called to live to be marked for him is a beautiful thing as well. We'll get there. Communion, I'll quickly just explain this. This is not what I'm preaching on, but I want to explain that communion is strictly only to remember what Jesus did. That's it. A lot of people would say communion is equated to salvation. And when you take communion, like the juice or whatever it is, turns into blood in your body and like bread turns into his actual body. All that Jesus said in scripture was to do this in remembrance of me. The writer Luke recorded that in the book of Luke. So here we are at the Last Supper. Jesus has given us this model for communion. And let me go to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. I'll go. A few verses here. Start with verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, the representation, he's saying, of my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I think that this point in history and this phrase he's saying, I'll point to you in a second, is so important. Because if you have any question of the power of God, the ways of God, the nature of God, it comes to this idea right here. What did Jesus say? He said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is what? Poured out for the forgiveness of sins of many. Why is it important that you look at that word poured out, those two words, that phrase? You know, why did Jesus say that my blood is poured out and not that my blood is spilt out? You ever just wonder why the Bible says what it says? Like, why did they use that word right there? That's a weird word to say or whatever it is. Because it is very specific. See, when something is spilt, that's what transpires when you're meeting your girlfriend's parents for the first time over dinner and you knock a cup and it spills on the table. When something's spilt, you know, like growing up, my middle brother, Pastor Steve here, he was just leading us in worship. He would always spill stuff on the table. He was a very accident-prone kid. And like jerks, we would sing him a song. Steven never fails. When something's spilt, it's completely accidental. Spilt is when I was, uh, we were designing the new room over there. It's our, our, we were one facility all the way down the hall, and we were painting, and we're putting the carpet. We just got brand new carpet. Spilt is when I was showing off to my wife when she was just my girl at the time, and I was shaking the paint, and I was like dancing, and it, brand new carpet, I spilt black paint all over the carpet. That's spilt. Spilt is what my son Zeeland does every day, everywhere, all over the house. That's spilt. See, spilt is an accident. Poured is on purpose. The father purposefully planned for the death of his one and only son. 
And Jesus intentionally chose to take the cross. You must hear me here. He chose to take the cross. Nobody could have made him take the cross. Nobody could have forced him to take the cross. If he wanted to call the angels at a drop, they could pull him up out of there. They could wipe out anybody in their path. He chose to take the cross. It was by no accident. It was by a purposeful choice. He poured himself out. He wasn't spilt. So Jesus here, he says that he is going to be poured out for the forgiveness of the sins of many. This is the crucifixion that he's going to take. If you If you look at the history of crucifixion, it likely began with the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and it became sort of a a system of execution for the Persians in the 6th century B.C. Now, at that time, what they would do, they didn't have what you see here. They would actually just tie the victim with their feet dangling to like a tree or a pole, and that's how they would die. That was how crucifixions kind of began. It was later that the Romans got a hold of this idea, and they created a torture system out of it, and they created what is known as the cross. But crucifixions have been around a very long time before Jesus ever went to the cross. Crucifixion, it was seen in that time, you have to understand, as the most shamefully possible way that someone could die. They would even make sure, because it was so shameful, that they would do everything in their power to make sure that Roman citizens didn't have to be crucified. They'd find another way for them to be executed or imprisoned or anything else besides crucifixion because it was so shameful. So they'd try to even keep it from their own citizens happening. What they would do is they would end up crucifying slaves or disgraced soldiers or foreigners, political activists, or their favorite, Christians. These are the ones that they would crucify. This is the shameful torture method that Jesus went through that the, that the uh, prophet Isaiah speaks of that he was marked by. What were the marks? When you think of the cross, you think of the crucifixion, you think of what Jesus went through, the real story, let's take it in together. What were the marks that the Messiah had to bear? Jesus, called by many names, Jesus Christ, Christ means Messiah, Messiah means the anointed one. What were the marks that he had to bear? You can really see it starting here if you go to Luke 22 and look at 63 to 65 verses. It says that the men who were guarding Jesus, these soldiers, they began mocking and beating him. So it just kind of starts slow, just, they're just beating on him a little bit. Then they blindfolded him and they demanded, prophesy who hit you. And they said many other insulting things to him. Mark, the writer of the second book in the New Testament, he records that at this moment they're spitting on him as well. I, just, I often wonder what was worse, the physical brutality or the mental brutality. I often wonder what was worse, the blood that he spilled or the tears that he spilled. You know, I look at this moment as it continues in, in John 19, Verses 1 to 3, it says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they slapped him in the face. You know, the disciple Matthew, he writes about this, uh, 
this concept of the crown of thorns, that in this moment when the crown of thorns was placed upon Jesus' head, they drove it into his skull. And then the Bible says that they bowed down and they mocked him and they faked worshipped him. This wasn't like they were like, oh, we're in the presence of a king. No, this is like, this was the greatest mockery they could come up with. They would sit there and they would just mock him to no degree. Think about the biggest potty mouths that you know at school or at work or whatever it is, that was these soldiers crucifying Jesus. And then as the, the crown of thorns was placed on his head, now listen, I've been in a couple uh, dramas here at the church, had to play Jesus. It was in my skinnier days, okay? I've worn this actual crown. They've even cut all of the different aspects so it doesn't hurt your head. This thing still hurts, and this is like a pretend crown, okay? It hurts. I accidentally was going to pick it up earlier when we were rehearsing, and I pricked my thumb on it. It hurts. I want you to imagine this crown of thorns placed on Jesus' head. The Bible says then that they took a staff and began to beat him over the head. Do you think that the crown of thorns just sat there delicately, or did it drive deeper and deeper and deeper into his skull? This was really the beginning here of what Jesus went through. This was the beginning of the mockery. This was the beginning of the pain, the agony. This was the beginning of the torture that we read about in Scripture. The Apostle John in chapter 19, we just read here, he gives just a few details about what's happening as these soldiers are in this moment mocking him. It's just a few, and the problem is we read the Bible and we don't read deeper into between the lines what's actually happening. Because if you look at historically what it says, look at just verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. We read that and we move on and it sounds like a little kid getting a spanking. Do you realize, like, flogged, the way that's translated in other passages of Scripture, even historically, it means to scourge somebody. It's saying that Pilate took Jesus, and he was scourged. In Rome, people that were condemned to crucifixion, they were scourged in such severe ways before they took the cross. And during a scourging, a person, what would happen is they'd be stripped naked, they'd be tied to a pole, and then so that their backside and all of that was exposed, they'd be flogged. They'd be flogged across the back, across the buttocks, and across the legs. And what they would do is the Roman soldiers, they would build almost their own, like, torture devices. This wasn't like an Indiana Jones whip or some, like, whip you see on TV. Like, they would take pieces with, like, leather, and they would attach glass or rocks or chain pieces or wood or whatever it could be. And the purpose was... As they came up to where the person was being flogged, the goal was as they gripped the body that it would come around, it would grab some portion of skin and take some with them as it was pulled away. So this wasn't like a whoosh, whoosh. This was it grabbed the flesh and it took some of it with them as they were scorched. If you look at more and more into the history of all the different beatings and, and floggings, as Scripture says, that took place, you'll find that the excessive whipping, it would weaken a victim to such degree, the wounding, the severe pain, the bleeding. One historian wrote that frequently the victim, they would faint during the procedure and suddenly die. That was not uncommon whatsoever, that death would occur. The victim was then usually taunted. Then they were forced to carry the patibulum, the 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 crossbar of the cross, and they would tie it over their shoulders 
and they would walk to the place of the execution, this historian said. Scripture indicates that if you read it, Jesus didn't carry a crossbar. It says he carried a cross, a cross made of solid wood. They estimate it was over 300 pounds. No wonder after Jesus had been scourged to such a degree, beaten senseless to such a degree, before he even got to the cross, he was abused to such a degree, no wonder he couldn't carry the cross, the Bible says. Time and time again, although he tried, the Bible indicates that he could not carry the cross. And so in Matthew 27, verse 32 to 33, it says that as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. And they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Golgotha was this hill that Jesus died upon, and it almost looked as you look into the rock like it was a skull. The marks that were placed on my Savior, on your Savior, if you claim him to be, they're honestly more than my mind can process and my heart can handle. I'm having to breathe differently than usual when I preach this message. I'm having to take, I feel like, in extra air because it's like almost painful to talk about. I can't tell you how many different moments. I, it's going to be a hard moment when I finally get to a certain point in this sermon. I don't even know if I'll be able to get through it because writing this sermon, I would stop and I would just weep as I had to research some of this stuff. I had to at least make this thing PG-13 for you all tonight because the stuff I was going to share with you, I don't think some of your stomachs could handle. The marks that the Messiah took for you and for me. It's crazy when you look into it that sometimes it's recorded in the history books that Roman soldiers, they would hurt the victim so much to the degree they wanted, they, they became sadistic about it, sick about it, that they would literally cut off a part of their body. Sometimes they'd cut off their tongue or they'd gouge their eyes out to inflict greater agony and pain on them, blind them, mute them as they were being scourged. There's one account I read, a report, it was made of a soldier that as the victim is there to be scourged, they actually strangled the victim's child and then took the child and hung it on the neck of the victim. So with their dead child hanging on them, they were beat and scourged and flogged. You know, no wonder that the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 52, 14, he says, just as there were many who were appalled at him. I mean, he, he just looked, Jesus looked sickening. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. No wonder that Isaiah prophesied about this here and now as I tell you historically what he actually went through. And after Jesus was flogged, John continues in chapter 19. And he says that once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. Now track with me. Pilate had just beaten him senseless. He is bleeding. He is broken. He's standing there in, in his nudity with his purple robe and all of this. And, and, 
in utter dismay. Yet there was no charge against him. That is confusing to me that he was beaten and he was mutilated, yet they had no actual charges against him. The scripture continues that when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify him, crucify. But Pilate answered, listen, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. He's like, man, I can't do this. This guy is innocent. I find it astonishing that they found no charge, yet still they charged him. What do you mean? Mark records in chapter 15, verse 25 and 26, that it was at nine in the morning when they crucified him. And the written notice of the charge against him, it read, King of the Jews. Now, follow me here for a second. I want to make sure you understand what I'm talking about. The Bible says that Pilate find, found no charge against him, but clearly the scripture says that the written notice of the charge against him. Isn't it confusing? Pilate found no charge, but they charged him. They had to find something to charge him for. It makes no sense to crucify an innocent man. But here's what I find so perplexing. about the charge against him. The charge was the truth. Is Jesus the king of the Jews or not? Is he the king of the Gentiles or not? Is he a king of everybody that takes a breath or not? Is he a king of all the earth and all the universe or not? Is he the king of kings and the Lord of lords or not? And here's what I find so confusing, yet it makes so much sense to what we are walking through today. They charged him for the truth. How much more as we are walking right now currently in this generation, just like Jesus faced, are we being charged for the truth? Are we being silenced and canceled in culture for the truth? We're not yelling. We're not, we're not making a big stink or, or we're not breaking things or burning things. We're just, we're just declaring what the truth is of the word of God as believers in Jesus. But aren't we being charged for the truth just like Jesus was? Now, listen, I know that his crucifixion is much different than what we're going through. But I got to let you know, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ in this culture, you're going to be crucified. If you're going to stand for the truth, you will be charged and you will be crucified for it. See, people that are marked by God, that means you're carrying the truth of God. People that are carrying the truth of God are the people that are charged and crucified. It might look a lot different. It might not be on a cross, but there is an absolute crucifixion happening right now with believers in our culture. But see, Jesus, I mean, he faced, he faced a crucifixion. We watch the movies. You've seen The Passion of the Christ. It's rated R. They, they still can't get close enough. Like, 
I've seen the scenes when they're scourging and where literally it comes around and you can see it rip the flesh off his body and still they're not close enough to what actually happened. And a lot of times we like watch these movies and we're like, oh, that's what it was like? Well, maybe some aspects, but if you've ever seen like a picture of Jesus on the cross or you've watched it, usually he's stretched out, his feet are over the feet, and they kind of have his body all, you know, stretched out. But see, when they put the nails in Jesus on the cross, it was a lot different than what you would see like in the movies or anything. The nails they put in Jesus on the cross, absolutely, they put a nail through this wrist, through that wrist. According to Roman crucifixions, and, and sort of like, it was about five to seven inches that they would drive. It was about this size, it looked like that, and they'd jam it right here into the wrist and it would hold Jesus up. But see, this picture that we have of Jesus is that he has all this room to sort of like lounge and stretch his feet. What they would actually do is they would bring the knees all the way up to the chest and they would drive this nail in right here so, so that his body was up and tight against here. And if you can look at some of the images that I found here studying, the, the lung cage and the chest cavity, it was so contorted from being pushed up. Imagine basically you're doing crunches like nonstop. His body's getting pushed to such a degree. It wasn't like he was stretched out. And it was like, <laughs> it was like this. You can, you can feel it immediately kind of crunching. It's a little bit harder to breathe. And so what Jesus would have to do, he'd press against that nail right there in his feet. And he'd pull up at the nails in his wrists. And he'd pull up. And as it opened up his, his rib cage and his lungs, he would take a breath. And then he'd come back down. And it crunched in again. So, I mean, I know the movies are trying to depict it to us, but they're still really not even close. In the 1960s, to investigate crucifixions without actually killing anyone, German researchers, they tied volunteers by the wrist to a cross, and then they monitored their respiratory and cardiovascular activity. Within six minutes, the volunteers were already having trouble breathing. Their pulse rate doubled their blood pressure had plummeted. And the experiment had to be stopped after only 30 minutes because of the pain on their wrists. We're talking ropes, not nails. They quickly deduced that those who underwent crucifixion, they would have died from various causes, including multiple organ failure and respiratory failure. You know, given the pain and the suffering that come with this type of death, it makes a lot of sense that the word crucifixion, it birthed the word that we use a lot, actually. Maybe you've heard your parents use it or excruciating. Excruciating literally means out of the cross. I'm in excruciating pain. Excruciating comes from this word crucifixion, literally means excruciating, out of the cross. Thorns are drove into his skull, nails through his wrists and feet, entire backside is brutalized. He spit on, he slapped, he's punched, and to finish it all off, John 19.34 says that one of the soldiers pierced Jesus in the side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. These are the marks of the marked. Now, this is prophecy as well, that he was stabbed and he was pierced because 
typically what they'd do is they'd break you at the kneecaps, so finally you'd cave in so you could no longer breathe. But it was prophesied about Jesus that none of his bones would ever be broken. So rather than breaking them, they didn't know it was prophesied. I love when people are fulfilling prophecy and they don't even know it. They go and they stab him where scientifically, medically, it is proven that when blood and water flow out of your body, you are deceased. You're dead. Have you ever heard the phrase, that's going to leave a mark? You know, typically, I guess that's something I would say if I'm like swimming with y'all in the summers. And uh, especially all the guys that get doing like a belly flop competition. One of those breaks out. I've seen a few of them where I go, that's going to leave a mark for sure. You know, when we're talking about what Jesus kind of walked through, the marks that he took, you have to realize that when you're marked, you're going to have marks. There is going to be a proof, there's going to be an evidence that your life is marked. If there isn't marks on your life, I would question if your life is marked in the first place. If there isn't a proof and an evidence that you've been marked by God, I I question if you have. You know, for me, if you get close enough to my face, you can see this little mark. It'd be the evidence that I was playing ping pong on Sunday. I was playing ping pong, and me and Matt Prosser were taking on uh, Zach and Luke, doing what we do, kicking butt, marking people, taking names. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if I got arrogant or I, I don't know if I was moving to the tunes. I don't know what happened, but it's kind of like flipping my paddle around and hitting the ball and stuff. And then it came out of my hand wrong, and the back end of the paddle came up, and it, it whacked me right in the nose. And I just started, I started bleeding. I, just, I had blood just start, start gushing. And then Luke Schlander, like a complete creep, wants to join me for the picture. And I, could, could I have cleaned the cut up? Yeah, I didn't. I played the rest of ping pong with it because I felt like I looked more intense and a better player with it. And then I came home with it on. I forgot. Then I forgot. Came home, and when Zeeland looked at me, he was like, oh, uh-oh. That's what he said. There was evidence that I was marked. When you look in the Bible here in John 20, Jesus shows up to the disciples' house after he had resurrected. And you got to understand here, Jesus dies, the best part of it all, and it's not my focus tonight because I am preaching the marks of the marked, but the best part is when we all come here on Sunday and we celebrate the resurrection. Jesus resurrects. He starts kind of showing up to people. Now Thomas also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, like the first time he showed up. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see what? The nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, follow me here, there's no way in. Jesus came and stood among them. He like literally just kind of like, like a ghost comes through. 
and said, peace be with you. Can you, can you imagine all the doors locked? There's no way in. And somebody just like rolls up that you ain't, don't, you're hearing like this homie's voice and you, that's in there and you hear your mama's voice and you, but you hear this voice you weren't expecting. Peace be with you. Pee be my pants is what actually just happened. Okay. Can you imagine like Jesus, like it's just locked and Jesus rolls up in the room. Okay. That's just my take on it. I'd be freaking out. Then Thomas said, then, sorry, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. That, that was his confession like, oh, man, oh man, I've done myself dirty. Like I, I should have had faith. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But now he's going to talk to us for a second. But blessed are those in 2021, on March 31st, in X night, in Emily City, Michigan, and all over the world, and those that will even hear this message later, blessed are those people that they have not seen, yet they have believed. Blessed are the ones that would believe the marks of the marked, and they have never actually seen the marks. Blessed are those who would walk out this journey of faith and say, you know what? I have never seen Jesus. I've never even audibly heard Jesus, but I can feel it in my heart the rest of my days. I'm going to live for him because he has marked my life, and I am the representation that I've been marked. I love when we ask for miracles. I just think sometimes we have to stop and realize you don't need to look further than yourself. You are one. You're a miracle. You've been marked of God. But what is the proof? What's the proof that you've been marked? What are the marks of the marked? I think a simple question you can just ask yourself and answer is, do you look any different than the world around you? Do you look any different than either people at school or at work or family members, that, people that don't know Jesus? Do you look any different in any way? It, does the music that you listen to look exactly and li- like, sound exactly like theirs? The movies you're watching, whatever is, do you look any different? I think that's a simple question to ask, kind of like a little test whether or not we're marked or not. Last Christmas, I was with my wife's family and our nephew, you know, on her side. He comes up to me, and, and I, I wear it all the time, but he's having to see it, my, my, my Z necklace. And he comes up like, I, I love your necklace, bro. Like, he, he was into it. I was like, yeah, sweet, Amazon, like 10 bucks, like. And his is like straight up like real gold and all that. He don't know. I didn't tell him. I said that in my mind, okay? I was like, yeah, man. Like, it's real, you know? And he's just like, that's sweet necklace. I'm just like, yeah, man, what's yours? And so his necklace, and it's got Jesus on there, and Jesus like being on the cross, being crucified, which is not something that I would necessarily wear because I know that Jesus ain't on the cross. He's risen. Uh, but it's whatever. It's cool. Like a lot of people wear cross necklaces, right? A lot of people would wear this necklace around their neck, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I, I think at one point I had a cross necklace. Um, I know Pastor wears one. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but for some reason, I saw his necklace, and the Holy Spirit immediately spoke something into my heart. You ready? We live in a culture of Christians that wants to wear the cross around their own neck, but they won't carry it on their back. <laughs> I don't know why you're clapping, because I'm coming for you right now. We live in a culture that we love to sexify Jesus. We love to market and promote and sell Jesus. 
We love to show off Jesus. And we'll wear the cross around our necks, but we won't carry it on our back. Come on. Can we get real with him tonight? That we are just one step further away from what he actually wants because we're Americans. That's just the truth. Now, if you're on there, all my homies that aren't Americans, listen, you guys are good. You're in good shape. Nigeria, y'all are in good shape. Stay where you are. I'm going to speak to the online fam for a sec. Listen, I know that you look at America, and I know you wish what we had, that you had what we have. I know that you wish you had some of the prosperities and some of the pleasures, but listen, you should never trade what you have right now with Jesus for the things that we have here. I'm telling you, that is the truth. It's the truth. Because we become so Americanized here, we blend in too easily. You know how many people that don't know Jesus wear a cross around their neck? And we wear that many times as that's the statement of our Christianity? That's like, that's as loud and clear as we can get with the fact that we felt, no, Jesus, now listen, I'm not saying if you wear a cross around your neck, that's wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm saying the issue is that that is what we categorize as following Jesus. The issue is there isn't the depth that we're supposed to have where many times I hear about our brothers and sisters around the world and they're on their face in the middle of the night. Why? Because they have to be. Because there is terror right outside their window and they have to be. And I'm not saying that we don't have issues and things in the government and, and COVID and whatever in our, in our nation. I'm not saying that there isn't problems and all kinds of stuff. But I'm saying that we as Americans can so easily forget that when you're marked, that means people won't know you by the jewelry you wear. They will know you by the cross that you carry. And when people hear this idea of like being marked by God, it's like, oh man, I can't wait to be marked by God. God, what's your plan? What's your purpose for me? Mark me, Lord, right here. Mark me. Mark me. I'm yours. And then, then we, we all start like, I'm marked, man. Do you even know? I'm marked. Do I think God has plans and purposes for your life, huge ones? Absolutely, yes. But you have to realize that the plan and purpose of Jesus' life was to die and take the cross. That all of the disciples that followed him, the apostles that went on to tell the gospel, the marks that they had to show from the scourgings and the floggings and the beatings, they were beheaded. They were drugged by horses. They were stabbed. They, plenty of things. The marks that they had to show for what it looked like to live marked. And we're out here saying like, oh man, God's purpose for me, I'm gonna be blessed. Now, do I believe that God wants to bless you? Yes. Do I believe I'm blessed? Yes. I look at my wife, I look at my kids, I look at this ministry, I am blessed. But listen, if I lost a lot of the things that I could consider a blessing, I'm still blessed if I lost some of the clothes that I have in the house, I'm still blessed. But we categorize this idea of being marked as God's best. Well, what if God's best means you have to go through hardship? What if God's best is you're going to have to lose somebody, lose something, go through some pain? What if he actually has a beautiful journey of you being marked, but he actually wants you to have some of the marks to prove that you have gone through something, and man, your testimony is a little bit stronger than it was without this Americanized idea of just blessing. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me.
This is why he said it. Because there's too many people out here going, man, I'm marked. And you don't even know what that means. If you're going to be marked by God, then you're going to have to have the marks to prove it. The way that you're going to prove it is you need to take up your cross and follow Jesus. What does that even mean? Does it mean we're like literally going to grab one of these things and we're just going to shove it in our car and take it out and go to school? and go to, Like what does that even mean? To pick up your cross and follow Jesus. It means that you are going to only with the Holy Spirit's strength take on as much Jesus responsibility as you possibly can. If God tells you to pray for somebody, you're going to pray for them. If God tells you to to share your faith, you're going to share it. If God tells you to give, you're going to give. If you go through hardship, you're not going to curse the Lord. You're going to bless the Lord. You're going to take on as much only through the strength that the Holy Spirit gives you, the grace he gives you. You try to do more than that, now you're just striving to try to show off to God. You don't need to show off to him. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about saying when the Holy Spirit literally gifts you, graces you, strengthens you to walk through something, you don't be a chump and say, no, I can't do that. When he has clearly given you all you need to be able to do it, Jesus would never ask you to walk through something if he wasn't going to journey with you through the Holy Spirit into it. It means that you're going to live a life that's unashamed for Jesus. When we talk about like carrying our cross, it's the, it's the proof, it's the marks. It is your life showing people, you know what, I love Jesus and I can say it. Like, I can, say, I can tell anybody I love Jesus. I don't feel less manly for saying it. I don't feel weird for saying it. I love Jesus. And that's not something I do up here on a stage, like, as, as a sermon. Like, that's, I'm cool with telling people I love Jesus. I am unashamed of who Jesus is. But if I could just get real for one sec, I remember the journey it was like where some of you are, where it's a little easier to be ashamed of Jesus. So it's easy to kind of lean into some of that immaturity, and that's what it is, and I don't mean to offend you, but you're just immature because you can't see beyond where you are. You can't see that all the people you want to be cool in front of, listen, they ain't going to be cool in 20 years. I know that. I went to my high school reunion 10 years later. I for sure had the hottest wife in the room. And listen, I still had all my teeth. I wasn't like 100 pounds more or whatever. I wasn't an alcoholic. I wasn't like... By the grace of God, I looked a whole lot better even physically. And I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm marked. I'm not trying to do that right now. I'm just trying to say like, all these people that we think it's worth, it's like worth living our lives for them. Listen, if you live your life for these people, you will wake up one day and finally figure out they don't care about you. They really don't. People that say they care about you even, they don't really care. Even people that are believers that should never, you think, do you dirty, they gonna sometimes. I'm gonna do you wrong and mess up. There is literally one person who will never do you wrong, and it is Jesus. It's not me. It's not a leader. It's not the person sitting next to you. Somebody at some point, if you live your life for them, you're only living it to fail. Listen, If you live your life to show up here, if you think in any way it impresses me, if I see you in the seat, I'm thankful you're in the seat because I care about you and I love you and I want you here. But never do it because you think it's what I want of you. Never live for Jesus because you think I'll be proud of you and it's what I want. I am proud of you. But live your life for Jesus because he's proud of you. Live your life for Jesus because he's worth living for. Because listen, one day you're gonna be married or God's gonna might move you away or something like that. I won't be with you. And at any moment, I could die, and I won't be with you. 
So if you live your life for anybody but Jesus, you're only going to be disappointed. I love to live my life marked to say, you know what? People can know the love of God through my life that's marked. Carrying your cross, it isn't about carrying your burdens. It's like, oh, I just got to lug around. I got such a hard life living for Jesus. It's not about carrying your burdens. It's about carrying his burden. You know, Jesus said, he said in Matthew eleven thirty five, he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we just think, man, I don't know if I can carry Jesus' burden. That seems really heavy. I can tell you it's a lot lighter than carrying your burdens. It's a lot lighter than carrying what you've been trying to live for. Even us at our best as followers of Jesus, how many times do you still try to carry your own burdens? And here, you know what happens when tr people try to carry their, they, they take on the burden of what they call their cross and they carry their burdens. You know what that's called? You know what it develops into? Anxiety, depression, stress, suicidal tendencies. Because why? You're carrying something that Jesus never asked you to carry. Jesus said, carry my burden. It might be your cross because... It's for your life to walk in and exemplify me, but it's my burden. Then the issue in the culture right now is they're carrying their stuff, right? They're not carrying the truth. They're not carrying God's plan, God's purpose, God's will, God's will. They're carrying their truth. Isn't that what they say? So they're walking around carrying their burdens full of anxiety and, and, and fears and stresses and, and depression, all this. Then they're carrying their truths, so it turn into this movement and that movement. It turns into this sexual desire and that sexual desire. you got to go watch, watch that sermon, Desire and Design, if you haven't seen it. That's a whole other thing. But they carry all this stuff thinking, oh, carry my plan, my purpose. And the next thing you know, they're unfulfilled in their career path. They're broken in their relationships. They have a mountain of debt. And they thought that if they just carried their plan and their purpose, then they'd feel better off. Jesus says, stop trying to carry your stuff. I'm asking you just to carry mine. It's your cross, but it's my burden. It's your cross, but it's my plan. And this generation is carrying sin in their heart, and they don't even know it. You realize that? People that do you wrong, they don't even realize how wrong they're doing you. People that don't want a relationship with Jesus at all, they hate God, they don't understand. They really don't. Until they've come into the knowledge of, of the kindness of God. Until they've been marked by God truly. They don't understand. That's why Jesus said in Luke 23, 34. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He's up there bleeding on the cross. He's up there marred and mutilated. And he still has the compassion in his heart to say, God, for real, Father, they don't, please forgive them. They don't get it. They don't understand what they're doing right now. So when people are doing you wrong, you have to stop back, step back for a second and go, you know what? They don't even really realize how wrong they're doing me, be, me wrong right now because they don't really know Jesus like I know Jesus. And we place this expectation on people that don't know Jesus to live like we live that know Jesus. And it just doesn't work that way. Just because you understand something because you've come into a relationship with Jesus doesn't mean that someone else does. The amount of study I have to do in these sermons just to break this down enough so you can understand it. Why? Because if I spoke at the level of how I understand Jesus, it'd go right over your head. Because I came to know Jesus at four years old. I was called to ministry at 12 years old. I was called to do what I'm doing right now at 16 years old. And I've been doing it now with you guys for 10 years. So what I understand, the knowledge that I have, it is just 
higher than where you're at right now. Will you get there? Oh, yeah. And you're going to go farther than I am. You're going to go way beyond where I am. I promise you. Because if you can get passionate for Jesus at this age, you'll go way farther. I was not nearly as passionate for Jesus as most of you are in this ministry. So proud of you for that. So proud of you. But we have this expectation like we, people have to. And then the world freaks out when people march with rainbow flags and when all this stuff happens, they freak out. Rather than just coming into this understanding that they just need the love of Jesus because they don't understand what they're doing. So when ha something happens in our culture like Lil Nas X where like the whole world it feels like is freaking out about this and the church is flipping out about this. Now listen, if you don't know much about what's going on with Lil Nas X, I'll enlighten you a little bit and you probably should not go beyond what I'm going to tell you. But in case you know more than what I'm talking about, that means you've already tiptoed into it and I want to speak to it for a second. First of all, let me say this. Little Nas X is the whole reason that Jesus died on the cross, number one. Little Nas X is the whole reason that Jesus went through the brutality of the cross so that we could be freed of sin. This guy, 21 years old, is just a broken kid, immature, no real direction in his life, no people really coming around him and like doing life and showing him. He's just a broken and hurting kid. A broken, hurting kid in need of Jesus. That's all he is. But there's been a lot of controversy about like this new song that he's dropped, about um, his sneaker line, or I don't know what you'd call it, his shoes. Now, I checked out some stuff with this song. I would truly advise you, listen to my heart for a second. My whole job as a pastor, as a shepherd, is to protect your soul. In order to help you protect your soul, do not go listen to this song. Do not watch this music video. If you have, just call it quicks. You've done it. It's done. Don't do it again. The vulgarity attached to these lyrics and the images of this music video, they're next level. They're next level. See, people look at somebody like a Marilyn Manson and something like that, and they're like, well, Marilyn, Man Marilyn Manson was so far and clearly out there. There's a whimsical, fantasy, colorful nature to what's happening in this that is drawing young people in. It's got over 56 million views already in like a matter of days or whatever it is. I'm just telling you, you don't need it in your soul. Don't even mess with it. But I want to speak to a couple of things here that I found interesting. If you saw the, the shoe that he released, the shoes here, they released only 666 pairs of these shoes. Hmm. It has on the shoe this kind of customized satanic bronze pentagram. It has the, an upside-down cross. I watched a review of a guy on YouTube. He, he has the shoes, and I got to see him close up. The whole thing I find ironic about the whole thing is it's got a scripture there, Luke 10, 18. It's like their sat satanic scripture, which I think is hilarious. And I don't mean this like an offensive way, but it's just bomb. I'll, I'll like worship God with this. Do you all know that Luke 10, 18 is I saw Satan fall like lightning because God's a freaking boss and kicked him out of heaven? 
I don't understand that one, but they're like, oh, this is our Satan scripture. Uh, when you were too much of a chump and you couldn't be in heaven anymore? I don't understand. But, and then, you know, as you've heard, there's a drop of blood in like the dye or the ink, whatever it is, that's in the soul. And in the, in the soul, it's from like a 1997 shoe that was actually, they call it like the Jesus shoe. And it's got like the, a Matthew scripture on the shoe. It's white and like baby blue. It's got a Matthew scripture. And then in like the the kind of like the tube-like nature, like the, you know, like the Nike shoes, they got like the clear bottom where it's like tube, and you, you can see like blue sloshing in there because it's like Jesus walking on water is what they created in 97. So this shoe was a response to that shoe. So as I had the, a scripture in Matthew on the 97 version, I believe that's the year, they now did the Luke scripture. And they put a drop of human blood in the dye, so, and it's like red, so it slushes around as you walk in it. I want to speak a couple things that I know to be true about this entire situation. Number one, and this is very important that you understand this, this is exactly why Jesus died. I just want to make, I know I said it, I want to make it clear. Jesus loves Lil Nas X, a.k.a. his actual name is Montero, I believe. It's his actual name. He loves him with every fiber of his being. He loves him because he created him. He loves him because he knows the number of hairs on his head. He loves him because he knows his original eye color before all the contacts and all that. He loves him because he knows his creativity and he knows his wants and desires. Like, he loves him. And because he loves him, he's willing to die for him. Jesus loves him no more, no less, no different, exactly the same as he loves you because he created you and he loves you the same, therefore he died for you just like him. But we have this idea, we're like, oh my gosh, devil. Now listen, has this young man gone pretty far off track and he is testing things in a demonic realm? Absolutely, he's, he's touching stuff you do not touch. And his life is being marked up in a completely different way. All the more reason to pray. And I would say, we should be very cautious and careful that we're like, well, uh, I need to pray for him, so let me make sure that I like check out the music video and know what to pray for. You, you don't need to. Let me, let me listen to the song. I'll really know how to pray. I promise it's, it's not, it's not going to help your heart and soul. It's not going to bring you closer to Jesus to help you bring him closer to Jesus. But you got to know, number one, that Jesus loves him so much. I preface with that because number two, this is the importance of the cross and this is the message that I preach tonight. I know that I'll never own a pair of those shoes with human blood in the soul, but I know I've been covered by the blood of Jesus all over my soul, okay? And you gotta realize tonight, you really do, you have to realize that, that the cross here, the redemption of the cross, the nature of the cross, you know, you ask the question, how do you know that you're marked? How do I know that I've been marked by Jesus? It's because I've been covered in the blood of Jesus. And this is kind of like a weird thought. Like, what do you mean, like, covered in the blood? It means when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, it covered all of my sins. And I'm just here to remind you tonight that it doesn't matter what your past marks have been on your life. Your mistakes, your problems, your issues, your relationships, what matters is that tonight you have the opportunity to step into a marked lifestyle with Jesus and have brand new marks on your life. 
you have the opportunity to allow Jesus to mark your life in a way that it honestly really never has been before. When you are marked by Jesus, you have the opportunity to have life change, to have purity, to have wholeness. You have the opportunity to be marked, to have a purpose and a life like God intended you to be marked by Jesus. To know that we don't just celebrate like 10 years of we're one, X and all this, but like God wants to mark your life. He wants to put an X on your life, say you are marked. Do you know what X is in the Greek? X means Christ in the Greek. Christ, Messiah, the anointed one. God wants to put an X, his name, who he is. He died the most horrific death so that you could be marked. Like truly, not just like, not just like an Easter sermon, but truly. So you can know it doesn't, it doesn't matter your past marks. It doesn't, I don't care if you slept with your girlfriend. I don't care if your sexual identity is out of line. I don't care if you've been doing drugs. I don't care if you've been lying or gossiping. I don't care. Listen, I don't care if you've talked bad about me. You've gone around to people and you said, oh, Pastor Dave and Gateway and we're one is this. They're a call. I don't care what you've done. What you said, listen, I already forgive you because I already know Jesus has already forgiven you. It doesn't matter how you've been marked in the past. I just want to tell you today that he wants to mark your life. And here's the beauty. You talk about we pick up our cross and we follow Jesus. Really what that means is that we will walk with him into his sufferings so we can walk with him into his glory. Just understand, like, there's marks on your life that right now, maybe you're even a believer in Jesus, and you're like, why does this have to happen to me? If you will step with him and carry your cross into his sufferings, you get to then walk with him into all of his glory. One day that we will be with him in heaven, one day in the fullness of his resurrection, you get to be in the fullness of that. And the beauty is that when our life dies to itself, we're buried in Christ. And then it's just as he was resurrected, we get to be resurrected and have this brand new life. So your past marks don't matter anymore. You get to be marked fresh and new today. And if you just do this, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. If you could just respect this moment, I really felt like God just spoke something to me. There's some of you here tonight that you've had opportunities, you've heard these sermons, and you could have like really already responded to Jesus. But you kind of like, you've been here and maybe you even love Jesus like in your heart. But you're lacking some of the boldness and some of the unashamed marked lifestyle that it's gonna take to go the distance with Jesus because this will not become easier in this generation and the next. It will only become harder. So if you can't stand for Jesus with the people of God, you will not stand for him in the world. And I felt like God just said, some of you, you've been, there's just been like that last step you gotta take to fully like go all in with Jesus. 
to say like, I'm done playing games. I'm done messing around with the things I've been messing around with. Like, I say I love Jesus on Wednesday or Sunday, but then I go and I kind of do my thing after that. And you're saying like, tonight I want to make it like official. March 31st, 2021. I want to say, man, Lord, I know I'm marked. I know I'm covered in the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, forgiven my sin, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and have a new life. And I felt like, I know this could be a stretch for somebody, but I just felt like you just need to make an unashamed and authentic and real declaration tonight that you are all in and marked by God. And if that's you, I don't want you to hesitate. But I want you to just stand up on your feet right now and declare to the Lord, I am marked by God. I already felt something start breaking. I felt even some of you specifically you just made a step that you will never even understand the gravity of what you did because I just felt it break as soon as you stood up. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Would you do this, everybody else? Stand across this place and join them. Stand up. Oh, man, I wish y'all could have just, man, I would have had you guys clapping and freaking out. Something just broke in the lives of people. There's been things holding some of you back. Some of y'all, I'm telling you, just broke through like it was tonight. You just broke through, and you don't have to go back. You don't have to be the person you've been. You don't have to second-guess second yourself for God. I'm telling you, you can be unashamed of the gospel. You can be marked by God. It's tonight. You just did it tonight. Maybe there's some of you here, though, that uh, you just, this whole Jesus thing is brand new. You know nothing about him. Or maybe here's another issue. Some of you know way too much. Meaning you go to church and you know how to lift your hands and you know how to cry and you know how to look the part. And you know how to wear it around your neck. But you've been unwilling to carry it on your back. Tonight is your night. It's just your night. This is your night. This is your night. Please, I just want some of you to know, your night will not be next Wednesday. It won't be when the sermon just hits right. I'm telling you, tonight is your night. This is your moment. I've had just moments in my life, 4, 12, 16, 21, when God marked me. And when he did, I was never the same after that. Tonight's your night. So listen. Let's make another step. If you're saying tonight's gonna be my night, maybe you don't don't even know why you came here, maybe you didn't want to come, or maybe whatever the, I don't know what your story is, but 
if you're saying tonight, I want to be certain for sure. I want this to be the night that God marks my life in a real way. I want to remember this night. I want to be able to look back on this night. I want to step forward from this night. If that's you, I want you to get out of your seat. I want you to come right here and say, I'm all in for Jesus right now tonight. I'm giving him my whole life. I want you to do it in front of everybody now with eyes open. I want you to step out of your seat. If you stood up and if you said that was me, you want to break through all the way? You want to be unashamed? You want to go all in? I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to stand right here. Across this room as well, we're going to pray a prayer together if you're in this room and maybe you're brand new and it hasn't been like an on-the-fence thing to you. It's just brand new to Jesus and you want to be able to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We're going to pray with these amazing people up front across this place. This is why he shed his blood on the cross for a moment like this where we could fully accept him, every part of him, into our heart and soul. So pray with me, would you? Loud voice, everybody say, Jesus, thank you for the cross where you shed your blood for my forgiveness for all of my sins. Thank you for the empty tomb because all my sins, all my shame, all that nasty stuff, it's still inside of there, but you're not there anymore. So I thank you, Jesus, that tonight you're giving me courage. Tonight you're giving me strength. Tonight you're reminding me that because of what you did on the cross, I'm marked. I'm forgiven and healed. I'm going to walk out of this room tonight with a certain confidence, not in who I am, but in who you are through me. Come on, so I want you to say this next part only if you believe it. Say, so Jesus, I'm going to pick up my cross and I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. I'm going to follow you when everyone's watching. I'm going to follow you when my family doesn't understand. I'm going to follow you when it's difficult and hard and I feel like I can't do it. But I'm going to follow you because you will give me the strength. You will give me all that I need, Holy Spirit, because I've been marked. So Jesus, help me to bear the marks of the marks. I pray this in your awesome name. Come on, everybody that agrees with these people up front, all our family online, everybody in the house, would you give Jesus a shot of praise? Come on, give him something good tonight.